text for this morning's sermon is Luke chapter 13, verses 1 through 5. Luke 13, 1 through 5. There were some present at that very time. I'll start again. There were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he said to them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the Tower of Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Let's pray. Father, I pray that Your Word would hit us this morning. That we would listen to You speak. Lord, I pray that Your Holy Spirit would have us ready to hear ready to repent and to trust You. Lord, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as uh, most of you know, we're in a little break from 1 Samuel. I'm in my preaching practicum class right now and I have to uh, preach four different sermons from uh, different genres of the Bible. And so this week, you get the narrative genre from a Gospel. And I really had been praying hard in light of kind of the week the Lord has brought me through this week to select this Scripture. So if you have your Bibles, you can locate uh, Luke chapter 13 and... uh, That's where we'll spend our time this morning. Have you been watching the news this week? Have you been following the headlines in the paper, whether it's the local news or national news? I came into work on Thursday morning, lost a day in the week because of the 4th of July, a lot of work to be done. And I come in and I greet Scott, and Scott said, have you seen these two videos? Have you seen what's going on on Twitter right now? In social media? And I said, no, what, what's going on? And Scott uh, pulled up the video of Alton Sterling, 37-year-old man, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, being tackled to the ground by two white cops. And while he's pinned down, the cop closest to his head, pulling out his gun and shooting him several times, point-blank range. 
And then he said that was Tuesday at 12.35 a.m. And then Wednesday in Minnesota, a little closer to home now, St. Paul, Minnesota, an officer pulls over Philando Castile and his girlfriend Diamond Reynolds and their her four-year-old daughter in the back seat. And the video is the aftermath of Philando getting shot four or five different times. Seconds after he's been shot, gasping for breath. And the transcript from the video, I just want to read a little bit of this. Officer tells Reynolds, keep your hands where they are placed. This is the girl, to the girlfriend. Yes, sir, I will. I will keep my hands where they are. Please don't tell me this, Lord. Please, Jesus, don't tell me He's gone. Please don't tell me He's gone. Please, officer, don't tell me that you just did this to Him. You shot four bullets into Him, sir. He was just getting His license and registration, sir, as you asked Him. It's an eight-minute long video of her continually repeating the same thing. At one point, her daughter says, it's okay, mommy, as her mom is on her knees handcuffed. Four-year-old say, it's okay, mommy. It's going to be okay. And you can hear the cop weeping in the background. And then, my initial reaction right away. Was that first guy trying to move his... I mean, if he did have a gun in his pocket and he was moving his hands, I mean, we don't have the whole story. And then my reaction on the second one, I would like to see what happens before the video starts. Was he... Was Philando grabbing for his gun? We don't know the whole picture. Initial response. Then, Scott says, you got to see what's going on on Twitter right now. A lot of our professors, a lot of pastors that have spoken into our lives on Twitter. National event happens. What's my leaders saying? What's their responses? The BDN Abuile? an African-American pastor who speaks at a lot of these conferences we go to, have a high due of respect for him. Let me read a few tweets. If you discover an appalling lack of love, justice, mercy, and humility, be afraid. Repent in reverence. Live as God requires or face wrath. Here's another one. This sham Christianity that is blind to its neighbor, indifferent to suffering, opposed to justice, bankrupt of mercy, and unwilling to repent. Away with the sham Christianity, unconcerned with the lives of men on earth, 
that it is very little contact with heaven. And then he retweets the comments of the governor of Minnesota, Dayton. Would this have happened to those passengers? Would he have been white? I don't think it would have, Dayton said to the crowd outside his residency Thursday. In all these Christian leaders retweeting Black Lives Matter, Black Lives Matter, and my initial response right away is, but we don't have the whole story. Who's right? Are they right? Or am, was my initial feeling right? And then Eugene Scott wrote an article for CNN quoting Newt Gingrich. Former Speaker of the House Newt Gingrich said Friday that normal white Americans don't understand being black in America. It took me a long time and a number of people talking to me through the years to get the sense of this. If you're a normal white American, the truth is you don't understand being black in America is like you instinctively underestimate the level of discrimination and level of additional risk. And then the next day, same man, Eugene Scott, quotes Sarah Palin, former Alaska governor. Sarah Palin says, the Black Lives Matters movement is a farce. Instead, Americans who hyphenate their racial backgrounds such as African Americans and Asian Americans further divide our country. This is the news this week. Just a little bit of a sampling of it. And everybody's asking why. Whose fault is this? Is it over-aggressive law enforcement? Or is this just something that isn't a problem and Black Lives Matter is just dividing our nation and causing violence? These were the questions Thursday. Plaguing my mind. I'm wondering what's wrong with my heart. Lord, is there racism sitting down in my soul that I don't know about? Here's, here's the why questions. Why were a hundred people shot in the Pulse nightclub a few weeks ago with 49 of them losing their life? Why did Philando Castile get shot by a cop? Why did Alton Sterling get shot by a cop? Why did five police officers in Dallas die? And everyone on the news has an answer, has a theory, and seems to know. Why did members of our church last week have to see two Somali black men walking across the street while a pickup revs their engine and speeds up towards them and swerves at them and they have to run out of the way. Why do we 
see this? Why does those same church members on Friday afternoon when getting home from the grocery store see a white man chasing a vehicle that has black men in it, yelling profanities and calling them to stop for a fight. And the vehicle stops and two men start pushing each other. And there's evidently another person over here. And a fight breaks out. And all of a sudden, another black Somalian man comes out with a gun on 3rd Avenue in Aberdeen and chases a man down and shoots him twice and he might die. We don't know if he'll live. Aberdeen, South Dakota. Why? Thursday, I was wondering, how much does this affect us? It affects us more than we know. What's been your question? What's been your answers to these questions? Which side are you on? Which side are you going to take? Whose fault is it? Whose fault is it? And then, that's not even considering other news like this. CNN reports yesterday that Italian authorities have discovered 217 bodies from a migrant ship that sank off the coast of Libya, April 2015. The Italian Navy said that only 28 people survived when that ship went down. That means 672 people lost their life when an accident happened at sea in 2015. They're just finding the bodies now. Why? Why did this tropical typhoon, Napartak, that just clobbered Taiwan, why did it kill three people? You know, when you go to have coffee with your friends, <coughs> is this, are these not the things we talk about? Are these not the things we disagree about? We love the news. We listen to it. We discuss it. We debate it. We fight over it. We kill over it. It's our entertainment. We try to find hope in it. What would Jesus have said Friday morning if He was on Fox News or on CNN? And we ask the Son of God, why is all this happening? Because we need to think about Here's what I was trying to figure out Thursday. Should I be tweeting what Anna Buile is tweeting, this black pastor? Or should I be retweeting Sarah Palin? What should I be doing as a Christian? Well, I think our text that we look at today tells us what Christ's response would be if He was asked, so why is all this happening. So look at Luke chapter 13. Verse 
there were some present at that very time. So, what time is this? If you go all the way back to Luke chapter 12, just the chapter before verse 1, we read this, in the meantime, when there were so many thousands of people, or when so many thousands of people have gathered together, they were trampling one another. He began to say to, say to his disciples first, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. So get the scene. Jesus is speaking to thousands of people, so much so they're about trampling each other. And if you just look through chapter 12 quickly, Jesus is just teaching one thing after another to these crowds. He's teaching them to have no fear, to acknowledge Christ before men. He tells them the parable of the rich fool. He tells them not to be anxious. He tells them they must be ready. He tells them that He didn't come to bring peace, but to bring division. He rebukes them for not being able to interpret the signs of the time. And He rebukes them for not settling quickly with the accuser before they go to court. And that brings us to where we're at at that time. There was some present at the very time who told Him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate mingled with their sacrifices. So here's the picture. Jesus is teaching. And just like in our day, they have political questions. They hear about news. In Pilate, the fifth Roman governor over Judea, a wicked, brutal man, had evidently, when Galilean Jews went to sacrifice, went to worship God, Herod killed him to kill a man while he's worshiping. This is the talk going around when Jesus is teaching. <clears throat> they had the opportunity to hand him the mic. They had an opportunity to say, what do you think about the news headlines? Jesus. What, what's your answer? And in verse 2, He answered them, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? What? What's, what sort of response is this? Well, he understands the culture. He's been listening to the talk. He understands what the theological view of tragic events is at the present time. The view at the present time was, obviously, if you die in a tragic event, it must have been that you were worse sinners than other people that didn't die in that event. And so, this is why he says, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans? Because they suffered in this way? You know, it couldn't, if God's sovereign over all things, then surely they must have been more sinful. 
is what the people were thinking. This is what Eliphaz said to Job in Job 4.7. Remember who that, who that was innocent ever perished or were or when was the upright cut off? You know, Job's nice friends were saying, you're not innocent. When has an innocent person ever suffered? It's this same sort of theology. And if you remember in John 9, verses 1-3, through we see this theology at work. As He passed by, He saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It is not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the work, that the works of God might be displayed in him. Jesus said, Your thought, theology is wrong. It's not that people never die under God's judgment. They do. But it's not a guarantee if someone dies that this is the judgment of God. Or that somehow they were worth worse sinners than someone else. And then look, he just answers it. Verse 3, crystal clear. No! It's not true they're worse sinners. I tell you, but unless you repent, you will likewise perish. News reporter, CNN reporter comes up to Jesus Christ. What? Why did this tropical storm kill these three people? You better repent too or you'll likewise perish. That's his response to CNN, to Fox News. And then, he gives another example. He says, let me tell you about other news. Because the Judean Christians always thought, or the Judean Jews always thought they were better than the Galilean Jews. And he doesn't want to just smack at Galilean Jews. So here's what Jesus does. Or those 18 on whom the Tower of Siloam fell and killed them, do you think they were worse defenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? So inside Jerusalem, in the southeast corner, is, is where uh, the pool of Siloam is. There must have been a tower there that tipped over and killed 18 people. And he says, out of all the people, all the Jews in Jerusalem, do you think that those 18 were more wicked than the rest of the people there? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. So what can we gain from Jesus' response? This seems unexpected and a little puzzling. Here's what, here's the charge of the message that I think comes from here. Turn from your sin to the good news of Jesus Christ. And I want to give you five points that aims to that end. Turn from your sin to the good news of Jesus Christ. This is Jesus' answer. This is His answer. In a sense, He's saying, Turn from the news 
that you only ever look at and talk about and judge and calculate that causes your fights. Think about bigger news than that. So here's what he says. He says, repent. That's the charge. Repent. What does repentance mean? It means to turn. This, this is for me to repent from walking towards this wall. This is not repentance. This is not repentance. This is repentance. I'm walking away from where I was walking. J.C. Ryle describes repentance like this. It's a knowledge of sin that grows into a sorrow for sin, which grows into a confession of sin. Confession is calling sin what God calls it. Calling sin what the Bible says about sin. And then looking at your sin and saying, I deserve hell because of sin. That's confession. I agree with you, God, about my sin. That's confession. Which then produces the habit of hatred for sin that shows itself by breaking off from it. When you're not repenting of your sin, you're still going in that direction. You might slow down. You might stop. But there's no break. There's no turning. But repentance shows a break and a change of direction. And Ryle says it culminates in this. That above all, it connects with lively faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. See, repentance, repentance of sin is not just stop sinning. It's this is your love. This is your life. This is what you're walking towards. Turn around and walk towards Christ. Repent. Stop going the direction you're going and go towards Jesus. MacArthur describes it in two stages similar. It's a change of your mind about sin. Here's how you used to feel about sin. You begin to see that God's law is binding on your life and that you have broken it and you deserve hell because of your sin. And secondly, so first, change your mind about sin. And secondly, affirm Jesus is the only Savior. Turn from your sin to Christ. Jesus' message is repent so that you don't die. Why would He tell this to people who were simply just bringing up a news topic? Did you hear about this? What do you think about this? Well, here's five things I think we can take away. First, turn from your own sin. Repent of your own scandalous circumstances before you judge everyone else. The reason why we love the news is this is someone else. It's some other idiots. Some other immoral people. And I love 
looking at all of their struggles and trying to figure out who's right and who's wrong. But in Jesus' response, He says, Stop it. Look at your own sin. You see, it takes the fun away from watching news as entertainment and picking sides in ruining family relationships. If you look in at your own scandals in your own heart, look at your own sin. What does the Bible say about us? Job 5.6, but man is born to trouble as sparks fly upward. As surely as sparks fly upward, man sins. Job 14.1-4, verse 1, man, man who was born of a woman is few of days and full of trouble. This is why news companies have a business. All they have to do is watch humanity. All they have to do is, if you had news cameras on your life, by the way, you would be a best-selling show on TV. You would be. Your life is scandalous too. First Kings 8.46, For there is no one who does not sin. Psalm 14, starting in verse 1, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is no one who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand or seek after God. They all have turned aside. Together they become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. Psalm 143.2, enter not into judgment with your servant, for no one is live, no one living is righteous before you. Don't have so much fun judging. There's no one who's living righteously before you. Proverbs 29, who can say, I've made my heart pure. I am clean from sin. In Jesus' response, he is saying, hypocrites. Repent, hypocrites. Quit having so much fun in all your self-righteousness in whichever side you're going to pick. When your own heart is so broken. As you've been watching the news this week, can you discern hints of racism in your own heart? I can. I can. I mean, would you ever? You might not go up to someone and say something offensive to them, but will you joke with your friends? What if your son or daughter, white man, white woman, was going to marry someone from another race. Any uneasiness lurking in the heart? Jesus is saying, repent, repent, repent. You really think 
that all your judgments are going to be found true when you stand before the God of the universe? There's only one person. There's only one person that has any hope. Jesus, you might think repent is a negative word. Evidently, Jesus doesn't think so. He says it leads to life. Second thing I see that Jesus calling us to turn from. So remember, look, all these points have the word turn in it. It's because that's what repentance means. Turn from your lack of love and sympathy. Weep over the tragic events before you jump into judging. You know, what is wrong with me? Instantly going into judgmental mode. Have I just seen so many people on TV die now? People get their heads cut off or get shot that I can't feel? I can't realize that a four-year-old daughter is a four-year-old daughter when I have a three-year-old and a five-year-old? Can I not feel anymore? How wrong that our first response to tragedy is, what do you think about this? Oh, that's interesting. You know? Of course the 49 people died in Paul's nightclub. It was a homosexual nightclub. I know why. It's the judgment of God. Jesus would say, repent, sinner. Repent. Are you hardened? Can you value humanity? This is my prayer this week. Soften me, Lord. Soften my heart to see what You see and feel what You feel. Third, turn from your fantasy world. J.C. Ryle says this, how much more ready people are to talk about the deaths of others than their own. You see, we watch these tragedies happen and we talk about them. I mean, we want to talk about them. We don't want to talk about our own death. We don't like looking in. We like to live in a fantasy world as if we're going to be the one person who defeats physical death. And who knows some tower isn't going to fall on us someday. Jesus is saying, turn from living outside of reality. The writer of Hebrews tells us in chapter 9, verse 27, and just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes the judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for Him. Here's the deal. You're going to die or Christ is going to return. And He's coming for those who are waiting for Him. Who love Him. Who find their hope in Christ. That's who He's coming for. Turn from your fantasy world of maybe good theology and I go to church and I do everything right and when I sit at coffee, I'm a judge. 
a self-righteous judge. Turn from that. Turn. Ask God to help you. Fourth, turn from your lack of urgency. You know, when Jesus is saying, repent or you'll perish, here's what He's saying. You have no clue if in the next second you're not going to suddenly fall dead. Well, your answer is a little off topic, Jesus. We just wanted you to talk about this instance, this incident. Jesus could say, yeah, but you could die now. So let me tell you the news that you need to know. He, in a sense, he's saying all this debate, this is little news. Let's lump it all into the category of fallen world sinfulness. Let's get to the real thinking that ought to be going on in our hearts. Let's get to the real good news. You realize yesterday's newspaper is almost worthless today? Oh, it's so good. Get the cutting edge news. Yeah, but how long does that last? Well, the news of Jesus Christ as the only hope of salvation has never and will never get old. It's the only news that trumps all news. And so Jesus' response makes perfect sense. Feel the urgency of focusing on real news. We're living on borrowed time. Do you realize that? The breath you just got is all you have. And the next one comes from God. And the Bible tells us He's being patient with us. Listen, listen to some of these texts. Exodus 34.6 The Lord passed before Him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. He's patient. Genesis 6.3 Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be but a hundred and twenty years. He's saying, my patience, I am patient, but you're on borrowed time. Second Peter 3.9, the Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Jesus is saying, you have no idea how lucky you are right now to have the opportunity to repent because in a moment, you could be gone. And then Romans 2, verse 4, Or do you presume upon the riches of His kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Because of your hard and penitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. You see, right in chapter 12, Right before this, Jesus just taught, be ready. Be like a servant that's ready for his master. The master's gone on a journey. Don't go get drunk and be found not doing your job. He could come back at any moment. And then, as this text we just saw, God's kindness, His patience is meant to what? Lead us to repentance. 
But you want to know what a hard-hearted world does? Is, man, since the day I've been born, I've been sinning. I haven't got a lightning bolt yet. I feel pretty confident. I may have been self-righteous for a long time. I'm not too worried about repenting today. I've been doing this for years. But that text told us it's meant to lead to repentance. And these people are storing up wrath for the day of wrath, it says. They don't repent. I was trying to teach this to my daughters last night. I might have scared them a little bit. But I grabbed a little toy and I said, pretend like this is sin. And sin is just sinning. You know, it's just doing its thing, thinking it's not that big a deal because it keeps getting away with it. Not that big a deal. God doesn't think this is a big deal. And I said, but one day, and it never stops. Never stops. That's what my youngest started crying. (laughs) But the reality, think of it. This is what hell is. It's under eternal wrath. And you know what? You want to know something? We all want to know why things happen. The people on their way to hell get their answer. They see Christ in all of His glory. And they know why they're going where they're going. But do you think getting the why question answered gives them any solace in their own soul? None. You see, we don't need to know why everything happens. We need to repent. And if we repent, our lives is in the hands of a faithful Creator that will take us to the place where justice rolls, where there's a perfect judge, where there is no more sin, there are no more tears. So, turn from your lack of urgency. And finally, the most importantly, turn to Jesus. Turn to Jesus. The news that trumps all news. You know what? It, we all know as Christians, we, we, we know the real answer, but we just don't want to talk about it at coffee because it's just going to be laughed at. You know, our answer is Jesus is the answer. It's not Trump. It's not Hillary. It's not Barack Obama. It's not some Tea Party candidate. It's not some socialist candidate. The only hope for America, the only hope for anybody is Christ. And guess who God chose to be the ambassador to carry that? He chose you. You see, we watch the news and feel like we get to be sidelined analyzers of this. We get to stand here and consider this. Problem is, is we don't. Not according to Scripture. We're the plan. We're the light that's supposed to be set on a hill. We're not supposed to be put under the bed where no one can see it. We're supposed to shine forth. But... In order to do that, coffee time might be a little different. The right, talking to your 
people at work might be a little different. Salvation can no longer look like a political group. Because let's just be honest, in all these cases, is there not surely sin on every end of every deal? Whether it be cops or whether it be any race, are we all not broken people? Are we really just going to jump on a side as though this is going to be the light that shines forth? The only hope to defeat racism is Jesus Christ. Listen to Ephesians 2. If you have your Bibles, turn here. Here's where we'll conclude. Starting in verse 12. Ephesians 2, verse 12. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise. He's talking to Gentiles here. Having no hope and without God in the world. The Gentiles had no hope. They were strangers to God revealing Himself to to the Israelites. But now, look at verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus... You who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. How powerful is Christ's blood? Well, look at this. For He Himself is our peace, who made us both one, the Jew and the Gentile one, and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law and the commandments expressed in ordinances, that He might create in Himself one new man in the place of the two, so making peace. Isn't this what we want? Don't we want all human beings just being at peace with each other? There's only one person that can bring peace. It's Christ. And He does it through His blood. You see, when one sinner realizes, I deserve hell for my sin, but Christ's blood was shared, shed for me, and this person of another race believes the same exact thing and is humbled by that fact, you're drawn together to love Christ and you stand in the same family. You see, all this anger we get towards enemies, the cross ought to destroy. Because we're we're the enemies that were forgiven. We've been shown this love, the answer to this world, to these problems, is repent and turn to Jesus. It might sound too simple and people might laugh at you, but that is what God's called us to do. So how does this walk? I don't, I don't want to leave it philosophically in our minds. Scott texted me on... Thursday night. And we'd been talking about this all day. We got to take a trip to Britain together to visit Lori right before Lori passed. And at the end of the day, here's what Scott texted me. He said, my solution to the shootings and the moral outrage of racism at the end of the day was literally 
to step across my fence and welcome my new black neighbors to Aberdeen. Not trying to be a hero or set myself up as one. This is not heroic. It's almost nothing. But trying to do something tangible besides get on Twitter and harp about things of which I cannot be certain. And because of that example, by the grace of God, the next day, I'm sitting in Caribou on Friday afternoon working on this sermon, praying about these things, wondering what God's message is to proclaim on this morning. There was a little accident out on 6th Avenue. So the two parties involved pulled into Caribou's parking lot. A cop was out there for a half an hour doing things. And the Holy Spirit, through Scott's example, saying, practice what you preach, preacher. So when they were done, it was a little awkward. He's walking to his car. I said, hey, officer, thank you for serving us. I imagine after last night, it's a scary day to be a cop. I'm sure your family's been worried today. I want to thank you and I want to let you know I'm praying for you. I came back into Caribou and I sat down. No more than a couple minutes passed, a Somalian man walks in to Caribou. I'm feeling the same thing. Practice what you preach, preacher. So as he was leaving, I got up and stopped him and said, Sir, can I ask you a question? What's it like being black in Aberdeen, South Dakota? Do you get treated well here? How, how do people treat you? I've already got in the back of my mind a car trying to swerve and run over a couple. What's it like being here? He said, I've been here two days. I just got here. So far, everyone's been nice. An hour and a half later, the shooting on 3rd Avenue happens. One of the first cops on the scene I found out was the cop I went and talked to. And I imagine, I don't know this, the Somalian man, if he found out another Somalian man had gotten a fight and shot somebody in Aberdeen, I'm guessing he might worry about living here. How people will treat him now. I say all that just to say, what are you going to do other than complain? What are you going to do to shine forth Christ in Aberdeen? I want to pray with you about it. I want to think it through. I want you to think how you can tangibly be the right answer in living in these days. Father, I pray that You would humble us, that You would help us be a broken people, that we might be used of You, that we would share the good news. The only hope is forgiveness of sins in Christ by clinging to Him by faith, turning from loving sin and loving the Savior who died for sin. God, I pray You will help us. In Jesus' name, Amen.